Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I read a story recently about a missionary in, in Africa who was approached by a couple of, of uh, tribal chieftains from a neighboring, neighboring town. Um, and for more than a year or so, they had been hearing about this missionary and his God and, and the changes that had occurred in the villages that he was, uh, was welcomed in. And impressed by it all, they, they came to this uh, missionary in, the, in this town, this, this village, to invite them to their village. And the missionary said, you know, I've, I've got a commitment that I've made here that, that I, can't, uh, I can't leave uh, right now. And he's, I'm, I'm not able to go back with you to your town. And they said, well, can you send someone with us? Do you, do you have some, a protege or something? And he said, no, I, I don't. I'm sorry. So the, the, these two chieftains stayed there with the missionary for a couple of weeks. And they were observing what life was like in this, in this village that uh, was now predominantly Christian. They were really curious about this custom of, of praying daily to his God. Uh, not as a God to be feared and whose anger had to be appeased through sacrifices and things like that, but as a God to be thanked, a God to be loved, a God to be thanked for His protection and providing what is needed for His guidance. So these two chieftains went home after a couple of weeks, and they, were, they, they left urging the missionary to come as, as soon as he could. Well, Two years passed before this missionary felt like he could travel to these, these other, this other village. And he, he arrived in the morning and at, at this, the, these, this other village. And, and when he got there, he found the villagers on their knees in total silence. They, they weren't making a sound. And he was mystified by this. And he, and he, he said, when he found the, 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 the chieftain, he said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're praying to your God. He said, but you're not saying anything. He said, we don't know what to say. But for two years, we've been meeting here, praying and waiting for someone to come and teach us what to say. So the example there is they didn't know exactly what they were doing. They had not been properly taught. They didn't have, I don't suppose, the, the Word of God to, to guide them. I don't know. But they were praying anyway. So the message of this morning is all about what do you pray for when you don't know what to pray for? So the question is, what about us? Are, are we anything like these villagers that were not knowing what to pray for? You say, well, do we know how to pray is the question. Do we know how to pray? Well, of course we do. You know, I've been a Christian for 20, 30, 50, whatever years. Of course I do. Or do we? For example, how and for what do we pray for Christians, brothers and sisters, that are going through difficulties in life? What specifically do you pray for? Well, the natural response when we see who, you know, someone who's maybe sick or going through tough times, we say, well, I'll pray for you. 
And I am, I am deeply convicted by my brother who would stop and pray right then. He wouldn't say, he rarely ever said, I'll pray for you. He said, let's pray right now. Let's not let that time pass. Let's not let that be some kind of assuagement to, to get past the awkward moment when you learn that something is going on in someone's life. Something bad in one of their relationships. Something bad with their health. Something bad with their, their job or their economic circumstances. I'll pray for you. That's like saying, pat you on the head and go away. But have you ever found yourself wondering, okay, let's pray about this. What do we pray for in this situation? Sometimes it's hard to know what to pray for. And doubts can arise when we pray earnestly and we don't get the answers we want. Sometimes we pray for people who are sick and they don't get better. That happens. Sometimes we pray for a marriage to be healed and it ends in divorce. Sometimes we pray for a couple to have a healthy child and a sick one is born. I can't give you any easy answers as to why this happens. I don't know the answer to that. But what I don't know about prayer doesn't discourage me. You see, we live in a time where there is literally more information created every second of every minute of every day than existed in the history of mankind before, between the video contents that, that's being created, between the pictures that are being taken, the, um, the things that are being written, true, false, helpful, not helpful, the information that's being created is immense. You, it, it's hard to even conceive the amount of data that's being generated. And because of that, we tend to get the false sense of security of this is knowable. Hey, I don't know how to install a water heater in my house. I can YouTube that. And I can do it in such a way that the inspector comes and looks at it and goes, hey, you want a job? That actually happened to my brother-in-law. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. I probably would have burned the house down with natural gas. I don't know. Um, I could have been like my dad and got a water heater and this fancy water heater and bought it and hired someone who did not apparently YouTube anything and installed it with a gas line that's about the size of this and it needed one that's about this big. Didn't work so well. But because of this this availability of information. We think, hey, I've got this. I understand. I know what's going on. Or I can know. Let me just find out. Let me do a little quick Google search. Let me, let me do a little, little research on this. And, you know, hey, Siri, what does this mean? It doesn't discourage me because I don't understand the, the why behind unanswered prayers. Or prayers that are answered in a way that I 
can't maybe even agree with because of the promises that God has made throughout Scripture and kept that we can see promises that were made in Isaiah and fulfilled in Matthew as an example. Promises made in Jeremiah and fulfilled in Mark, for example, etc., etc. Hundreds and hundreds and literally hundreds of times predictions made, promises made, and kept. Because of the things that I have seen through Scripture, the things that I've seen in life, the way that lives have been changed as a result of prayer, it gives me so much encouragement that I'm absolutely convinced that the most important thing that we can do in times of difficulty is to pray. Now, the world may say, hey, that's, not, that, that's good for you to feel good. It gives you all kinds of warm and fuzzies, but it's not going to do anything. The Word of God says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, in the, in the King James, does a lot of good in the ESV. Does a lot of good. You see, prayer puts us in touch with God. And it's important for us to come to God and express our needs and our deepest concerns, our deepest longings, our thanksgivings, our, our what's called supplications, our ask, asking things, but also giving Him thanks and, and, and giving Him honor because we're in a conversation with God. We're in a conversation with God because of Jesus, because of what He did, not just because He died, Lots of folks died. Lots of folks died on crosses in the Roman Empire. But only one came back from the dead. And because of that, you see, our sin separated us from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through, through 13 said that our sin separated us from God. Go to Ephesians 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by the hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Pretty desperate situation. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's other passages that talk about our sin, passages in Isaiah that talk about our sin separating us from God. And Jesus Christ came to reconcile us. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans the 8th chapter, verse number 34. It says, Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. What does that mean? Makes intercession. What does it mean to be an inter uh, to, to make intercession for someone? It says you stand in between. You are a go-between. If you're a lawyer, you're the go-between between the judge and the accused. Jesus is the intercessor for us in our prayers, in, um, in standing at, at the right hand of God, 
saying, this is mine. I know him. I know her. He's saying, this is my brother and my sister. You see, his death, his resurrection made it possible for us to communicate with God. So with that in mind, look with me in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Thanks, Chase, for the reading there, that four verses there. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse number 7. And I'm going to read it again in the, in the New King, Version, King James Version. I believe he was reading ESV. So I want you to hear the difference um, in, um, in this just a little bit. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. What in the world is he talking about? The first six verses of chapter 12, he talks about a really, really powerful spiritual experience that he had. It was, it was a revelation by God to him. And he said, lest I become boastful and conceited and say, hey, God spoke to me. I don't know about y'all, but God spoke to me. He said, lest that happen, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me or beat me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, he, God, said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, so because of this, most gladly, what? Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. No, Paul, you got that all backwards. That's what we want to say. You, you messed this up. You, you've, you've been given something to make you weaker. You should pray that God would take it away from you. Then that's what will make you stronger. Mm -mm. That's not what he says. He goes on. He says, therefore, he says, therefore, again, summing up again. I take pleasure in infirmities. What? You do what? You take pleasure in infirmities? In reproaches, fancy word for somebody saying bad things about you and putting you down and knocking your legs out from under you. In needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is the most backward, countercultural thing that Paul probably ever said, in my opinion. That's crazy talk. But that's exactly what he's calling us to. Let's unpack that a little bit. Paul had this amazing spiritual experience that he talks about in the first part of this chapter. And, and there is a danger in spiritual experiences. There's a danger of, 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 of us becoming conceited, of having this, these powerful, wonderful things happen to us that we say, hey, God loves me. All these bad things that are happening to you, he must not love you. There's a danger in that. A danger to think that you're more spiritual or more important than other people. A danger in you becoming somehow isolated because, hey, I, I have no needs. I've got this. God loves me. He's protecting me. He's got a hedge around me. So the Bible tells us that God gives Paul what he calls a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what it is. Or, or what it was, but it was something that caused him physical pain and anguish. And we know that from 
Galatians chapter 4, 13 and 14, it was a physical infirmity. In fact, it was so bad that Paul prays three times for God to take it away. Now, you may be thinking, three times? I'd, I'd be praying it three times a day. Perhaps. But he, he specifically prayed three times for God to take it away. And three, time God, three times God answers no. And then, moreover, he tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say my healing. He didn't say this physician that I'm going to send you. I, he didn't say this treatment I'm going to send you. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Again, I have to ask, what? This is, wait a minute. I, I've got to be able to go to the internet and find an answer for this thing that's going on in my life. This, in his case, a physical ailment. But it may not be physical. It may be something else that is your thorn in the flesh. I want answers. The, the information is out there. I just got to keep looking for it. That's where we are today. You know, you back time up 50 years, you back time up 100 years, or, or, or the information did not exist. The in, in the early 1950s, there were insurance policies that you could take out for polio. Some of you may remember that. You could buy a, a, an insurance policy on yourself or your children to protect against polio. Well, it didn't protect against polio. What it did, it gave, you, it gave you money in case you or your child got polio. Insurance that we bought for that. Now you know what you do? You get a shot. One time, done. You moms maybe correct me. Maybe it's one or two. But anyway, it's, it's not many. And you're done. You don't have to suffer that anymore. And we think, hey, we want the answer. We want the answer. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect or complete or obvious in weakness. So Paul learns the lesson. He accepts the grace of God and recognizes that that is sufficient to see him through. That is faith. That is patience. That is giving glory to God instead of glorifying knowledge, information understanding, self-reliance. So with Paul's example in front of us, let's look very quickly at the, the, the answer to the question. Perhaps not the answer, but an answer. Three different things we're going to look at. When bad things happen, what, for what should we as God's people pray? First, some obvious answers. Of course, there, uh, we need to be asking for God's presence and strength. We need to be asking that He gives us what we need, whatever that is. We need to be praying that it is His will, not ours, be done. And we need to be praying for those around us because the impact of our problems on other people, sometimes we overlook. Look, when you're sick, it affects those around you, your spouse your children, your co-workers, especially when you have a chronic illness. It affects people. Do you pray for them? Do you, you pray for those that, that are around you supporting you, whether it's a short-term illness or especially a chronic one? 
Do you pray that it's God's will be done? We'll talk about that more in, in, in just a minute. The, the obvious example there is in Luke chapter 22, Jesus in the garden. There's a story about a little girl that had her heart broken. And she began to pour out her, God, her, her, her heart to God, but she didn't know what to say. She was a little. She didn't know what to say. So she started just reciting her ABCs. And someone else heard her praying that prayer and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm, I'm praying to God. The, the, this, this lady said, well, it sounds like me. You're just reciting the alphabet. She said, yep. But God knows more about what I need than I do. So I'm hoping he can take all those letters and just rearrange them into what it is that I need. Now that's simplistic, but I want you to think about just how simplistic your prayer, my prayer, is to the Almighty. When we think we know what we need, Lord, I need this, specifically this. Here's, so let me, let, me, let me give you a shopping list, Father. Let me give, me, let me give it to you just, you know, I'm going to make it simple for you. I'm going to give it to you in bullet points. I'm going to make a PowerPoint for you, Lord. You know that sounds like the ABCs being recited to the Father in the wrong order. But the Holy Spirit intercedes. Jesus intercedes for us. So there's some obvious answers of what we, we pray for. But here's, a, here's another thing from Paul that I think we learn. That it's okay to pray to escape suffering. That's an okay prayer. Paul prayed for an end to his suffering, and so did Jesus. So did Jesus. 100% God, 100% man, at the same time. Not a little bit this, a little bit that, or it would, the balance would sway back and forth. 100% both at the same time. So here's his prayer. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. This, what was the cup? The cup of the torture and death on the cross. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Take this from me, but if not, your will be done. If you're sick, it's legitimate to ask God to heal you. Don't misunderstand. If you're having difficulties in life, whatever it may be, it's perfectly all right to pray that God would take it away. Paul did. Jesus did. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. And we don't always understand why. But we're still to trust him. Paul did, and out of his experience, he was able to write that passage that we read uh, uh, today in, in 2 Corinthians about I take pleasure in, in infirmities and reproaches and needs and problems and distresses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It also led Paul to, to write the, the passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the call according to His purpose. Now, don't misunderstand that passage. Here's what that did not say. It did not say 
if you are Christ, everything is going to work out for good. It did not say that. It said all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His promise. All things working together for good might not include you having your prayer answered. And I'll give you Jesus as an example. Jesus prayed that that cup be lifted from Him. But that wasn't the Father's will. What was the Father's will? That Jesus be tortured, killed, and resurrected. Why? For our benefit. All things work together for good. It was not the Father's will that Paul's thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, be taken away. It was Paul's um, suffering that led him to have a greater spiritual understanding of what people go through and will go through as they live this life. And it, it allowed him to pin these, these, these famous words that we just read. Etc. All things work together for good, not that you may see it or know it. Thirdly, when we do suffer, I think we ought to pray that our suffering will not be wasted. You see, your suffering is wasted when all it does is hurt or even benefit you. Paul's suffering did not just affect him. It allowed him to see things in a broader perspective. It allowed him to give glory and honor to God. It allowed him to say, I will boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Not the power of Paul may rest upon me. Not that, look how much I have overcome. Look, there's plenty of biographies and autobiographies about men and women throughout history of the tremendous things they've overcome. The tremendous odds that they overcame. They were born poor and they became rich. They were, were born into, into poverty, but they uh, got all this education and they uh, solved these problems for the world. That's all fantastic. But too many times that glory and honor is not given to the Father. That glory and honor is given to that man or woman. That's not what Paul did. You see, when we can pray that our suffering not be wasted, we can use it to bring glory to God. We can use it to gain the victory that God wants us to have. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Given to me. Even his perspective has changed. He didn't say, oh, I caught this disease or whatever the issue was, or I, I had this injury. I was given this thorn in the flesh. It's a strange gift, isn't it? But that's the way he describes it. You know, occasionally God allows negative things in our life for a reason. In this situation, Paul tells us that it was to keep him humble. Perhaps that's why you have your thorns in the flesh. Perhaps that's the reason that you've not been able to reach that next level in your company, is to keep you humble. Perhaps that's the reason why you've not been able to finish all those projects on your honeydew list. I don't know. If I ever finished all the things on my honeydew list, I might just be 
If my if I ever reached inbox zero in my email, um, that would be a miracle. I would love to see that sometime. But if I did, I might look, look at it and say, well, look what I've done. Or look what I and my assistant have done. Look what I and my team have done. Whatever the situation, perhaps there's a reason for it. He accepted it as something God had given him for a reason. Paul prayed, you see, and he waited on God. Three times he said, I prayed to God, take this thorn away. Please, God, heal me. Please, God, take away the hurt and the pain. I don't know exactly what he says. We're not told. But it was likely something like that. And three times he was silent, God was. You've experienced this kind of frustration. I know you have. It's difficult to keep the level of faith you know you should have when it seems like heaven is not responding. When you're on hold. But Paul waited, and that's what we're taught to do as well. But then the silence was broken. God spoke to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, he didn't take away the thorn. He gave Paul enough grace to be able to put up with it, to get through it. There was a youth group that went to Appalachia. Very, very poor uh, area. And they were working on this woman's house, but it wasn't a lot of fun. It was hot. It was miserable. They hated where they were. You know, it's kind of the place where the porches were littered with old cars and sofas and garbage, and you know, it was just not a fun place uh, to be. And eventually, they, they began to kind of make fun of the way that the people lived. They were there for a couple of weeks or so. They began to act like a group who would rather be doing something else. They picked on each other. They argued. They, it was just kind of devolving. And the woman who owned the house that they were working on came out with, with, with tears streaming down her face. And she sat them all down in the grass in front of the house, and she stood there, and she lectured them. And she said, what's wrong with you kids? Don't you know? Don't you know that I've been praying for a long time for someone to show up here and help me? Don't you know how badly my kids need what it is that you're doing, these repairs you're doing to this house? This, uh, this addition you're making on the house to, so we can have a bathroom? Don't you know that you're the answer to my prayers? Why don't you treat each other like the answer to prayer? And from that moment on, the scene changed. Instead of an obligation, it became a true mission, a true opportunity to serve. Instead of tearing each other down, they built each other up as they were building this part of the house. You see, when someone tells you that you are the answer to a prayer, everything changes. Now, sometimes we get to see that. Sometimes we get to see that you are able to play a role in someone's life that can be nothing but the answer to a prayer. Other times we can't see that. We can't see sometimes that the, the, the suffering that we're seeing or experiencing is not wasted. My cousin Chad died at 35 years old of colon cancer. He was in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks, getting weaker and weaker. 
But after he died, the, the nurses and, and the attendants and the doctors and everything, it was amazing the things that they had to say because of the support that they were that, that he was receiving. The, the family members, the church members that were there 24 hours a day, seven days a week for weeks and weeks. And they were affected by that. Perhaps eternally. I don't know. That suffering was not wasted. That tragedy was not an eternal tragedy. Certainly not for Chad. And perhaps not for those that were affected by it. The, very, the church members, the family members that were there, lifting each other up. Not wasted. Let's review what we've talked about today and what we've learned from the Apostle Paul. First, we've learned that we need to be asking God for His presence and His strength in our daily lives, for His Holy Spirit to be working within us. Are you asking for that to happen? It's not a redundant prayer. Secondly, we need to be praying for God's will to be done because there are things that happen in this world that are absolutely diametrically opposed to what God wants to see happen. There are things that are happening in this world that are in alignment with His will and His word. There are lots of things that are happening that is not what God wants. We need to be praying that His will be done in our lives and in the world around us. We need to be concerned more than just our own needs and trials, but those who are around us and affected by things. Look, those of you that have children in school from kindergarten through college, this COVID situation is affecting you differently than it is me. You know why? I have no kids or grandkids in school right this minute. It just happens to be the, the, the timing. Now, it's affecting my family in, in some ways. Kasha has to wear, you know, a trash bag from head to toe every day at work kind of thing. But that's not the same thing that's, that some others are dealing with. So my problems are not worse than yours. They're just different. At the same time, we've also learned that it's all right to pray for God to heal us, to end our suffering. Paul prays every day that the, this COVID thing, what he calls the pandemic, goes away. Every day. Not my will, but thine be done should be our prayer. And lastly, when we do suffer, Paul teaches us that we should pray that our suffering not be wasted, that we can use it to glorify God, that we can use it to serve others, that we can use it to grow personally, that we can use it to, um, to do things that we can't even see, that may not cross our paths. It may affect someone that we will never see that's in the background. And that we can gain the victory over it through the strength that He gives us each day. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this very important subject, I think. Because there's a, there's a, look, there's a lot of angst in the world. There is a lot of turmoil, a lot of uneasiness. Just ask any teacher. There's several of them in the room. Just ask any teacher. They don't know from day to day what's going to happen. Ask students right now. Well, we're in school today. Don't know about tomorrow. Well, you know, we're, we're, we were all online and now we're partially online and, and just this, this 
this flux that everything's around just regarding education, much less health care, our jobs. I can go on and on. And I'm, I'm being somewhat redundant because you know these things. What are you praying for and how are you praying? When you see someone that's affected, how and what are you praying for? But perhaps we need to pray for you. Perhaps we as a body need to pray for you. Perhaps the burden that you're bearing is stronger and, and more, more burdensome than you can deal with. Jesus himself wanted his apostles to pray with and for him. To help bear that burden. That example is not lost today. If we can pray with you and for you today, if we can as a body wrap our, our arms around you and, and help you, please let us know as we sing this song. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.